and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is, we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. When living with pain and illness, you will at some point need to rely on someone else for help. Some of us may need assistance with errands or trips to the doctor. And then there are some of us who live with certain conditions which require constant care with our everyday needs, such as getting dressed or even eating. So what challenges arise when you depend on a caregiver? And how do you manage your mental health along the way? To get some answers and perspective, I would like to introduce you to my guest for today, Lisa Rutledge. Lisa has spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy and also manages anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. Being quadriplegic, she has required assistance with her basic needs since birth. Caregivers are essential to her life. Lisa may be in a wheelchair, but her mind and spirit are anything but. She holds a bachelor's degree in mass communications and a master's degree in English from West Texas A&M University. She has three years of professional copy editing experience and 14 years of experience teaching writing at West Texas A&M University. She has her own editing and publishing company called Oleander Isle Editing and Publishing. She writes and publishes essays and poetry and fiction. And if that is not enough, She also writes a blog about her spiritual journey and on Christian scriptures, which you can find by visiting sittingwiththesacred.com. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I really have enjoyed reading some of your articles off her website, which I'll promote at the end, as well as The Mighty and some other things that you have published and your view on certain topics, you know, you really have a unique perspective that I honestly, you know, couldn't wait to, to have you on the show. I would love to begin with a little bit of your story, if that is okay. And if you could also include your caregiving history as well, that would be great. Thanks for the great introduction about my professional background and interest. And since we covered with that, I think I'll start with my medical history and use that to lead into my caregiving history like you said. So I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when I was about two. The quadriplegic label on the cerebral palsy doesn't mean that I have a loss of sensation below a certain point on my body. It means that I use a wheelchair rather than walking. It means that basically anything I can't do with my voice or with an index finger and anything that requires extending my arm past 90 degrees, I need someone else to do for me. It means that cerebral palsy affects both my arms and both of my legs, whereas some people are affected only on one side or on one half of their bodies. Basically, my brain sends mixed signals to my body so that it's prone to 
spasms. And so that, for example, as I'm talking to you, my whole body wants to get involved. That's okay. I'd like to think it's a great workout. <laughs> it's been a part of me. So mm. I think from my perspective, I, I, I haven't known any difference. So it's just kind of always there, like having a leg or having an arm or any other part of you. So as far as the other stuff, the mental health stuff, I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was in graduate school and with the OCD about three years ago. As far as my caregiving history, both my parents worked in management until my second grade year. And so I've had caregivers who weren't in the family who lived with us. My parents have been caregivers. I've had a grandmother who was a caregiver. And then when I was about 15 is when we moved back to Texas after living here before. And that's when I learned about the class program, which is a state program for people who've had disabilities that require caregiving. It's for people who've had them since birth and attendant care. So I've had several attendants through that means. So my, my parents are my current caregivers through that program. Oh, that's, that's really neat that they have that program as they should. I remember us talking a little bit about it and it took a long time for you to actually get accepted. I, I was about 15 when we found out about it, school therapists and other people in the community. And I didn't get off the waiting list so I could benefit from the services until I was about 20. I think from what I've heard from some other people is a shorter waiting time than some people have Wow! Um, to get on the program. And you also have to qualify for Medicaid so your income can't be above a certain level to qualify for the state-funded service. Right. Usually they do have those qualifications, which makes it either out of reach for some people or perfect for others, but the waiting has to be excruciating for a lot of people that need the help and can't get it because they have to wait. I guess, you know, you really have had a series of caregivers. It sounds like your mom and dad have been your primary caregivers, as most of us are, that our parents are our caregivers. But what are the challenges that you faced with dealing with caregivers on a on a daily basis? Figuring out how to communicate what I need in a way that feels comfortable to both parties, as well as when you're a caregiver, you're working in someone's home. So you're doing a job, but you're in this very personal, intimate setting. So the, the big challenge can be establishing boundaries and finding ways to remind both of you, the client and the caregiver, yes, I'm in a home, but I'm also working. Things like, what do we feel comfortable with as far as cell phone use, while it, how much TV usage and in what room so that it doesn't interrupt my work as a client. And on the other hand, in my case, you know, there can be long periods of time, like I kind of suggested, where there, there's not a whole lot for the person to do with me because I'm working. But at the same time, you also need to be to do physical activity because I can't transfer myself to the toilet or to the shower. I, I can't do any of those things for myself or wipe myself. From the, the physical requirement, those are not things that 
necessarily everyone wants to do. So there can be high turnover. It can be a lot of work, and there can also be a lot of, of downtime. There's not really a, a set structure. And I'm also, I, I can't necessarily at the same time be there to keep the person occupied if they're bored because they're just waiting around for me to be ready for lunch or have to use the restroom or need a drink or any of those. Yeah, it sounds like a really delicate balance and it has to be different. I mean, you're used to it, but maybe the new caregiver might not be the having that downtime, but being ready when it's time to get going and then to give you that personal space, you know, you have your own life, your own work. So you probably do want some space as well. And that can be tricky. I, I had very minor caregiving needs, but for a while I wasn't able to drive. And I also really couldn't run my own errands and things like that. So I would have people help me and come pick me up and, and take me out. But it was very difficult because a lot of people became very like we're friends, quote unquote friends, which is great. And I was happy to have a friend, but at the same time, I needed those boundaries. When I got home after errands, I needed to rest. I needed to get in bed and rest. And some of those people did not realize that boundary. And it was very difficult for me because we kind of had a friendship type relationship to stand up for myself and say, Hey, I need some alone time now. Like I need to sit in my bed and not listen to anyone talk and just rest because my head is killing me. But that has to be a delicate balance you have to find with each person. And you're right. I bet the turnover rate is crazy. I guess, how did you address issues with people? Did you do it right on? Did you talk to your parents? I mean, I know I kind of talked to my parents and got their advice before I approached uh, any kind of caregiving thing, because I like to get another person's perspective, but that's hard because you have to voice your opinion, but you also have a delicate relationship with them. And you don't want to lose per se a caregiver either. If all they're doing is one like little thing that needs to be addressed, you don't want to lose that or upset them. It's a, it's probably very tricky to handle all that. Yes, it is. Especially in the beginning, especially when I started out with the class program, not so much with relatives. I'm really good at telling them mm -hmm. what I want. They'll be the first to tell you. But with the people from outside the home, honestly, in the beginning, I sort of complained to my parents and then wanted them to handle it. I was totally afraid of confrontation. And it's only in looking back that I go, gee, now I know what the options are for being without a caregiver from outside the home. And I, I wish I had been more comfortable with just still politely, but nonetheless saying what the situation was and what I needed and why, or what was bothering me and why. I know there was so many times I wish I had spoken up and I didn't. And then I, we both may have paid the price for that because yes. I didn't say, and they didn't know. And then we continued the way we were going. Yes. And it was, yes. it, yeah, it's not a fun, a fun feeling. And I guess and that it, leads me to my next question. How did you maintain your voice or did you 
and really get the help you need. Did you have to kind of use your parents for a while until a certain point where you're like, okay, I can address this myself? I will say that the the attendants were good at that we did fine with meeting my physical needs. I knew how to communicate that. Mm-hmm. But as as far as boundary issues, um, for one, I don't even know that I realized at the time what my boundaries were and what was bothering me. I just knew that, for example, that something might be stressing me out. And I didn't quite know what in the situation it was that was causing me to feel stressed. But even when I did, I, I, I had trouble communicating that. I don't know that I really did communicate. And I, I feel like, like you said, over time, as you let things go on and as they go on, I feel like it even gets harder to communicate these things because you've established patterns of things that you've understandably given the impression are okay. Mm-hmm. And it gets even harder to be like, no, comfortable with that. At least from my perspective, it did. It, no, it does, because they assume that you're okay with it because you've never addressed it. And then it just continues and continues. When you finally bring it up, understandably, the person may respond like, well, why didn't you tell me this before? Why after such and such time are you just now communicating? What, mm-hmm. you know, what change? And that can be difficult to answer, especially when someone isn't inside my head. And why we all do the things we do. I mean, we all have our quirks and the things, how we handle things. We either shut down or we lash out. We, you know, internalize. We all do different ways. But yes, I think addressing things early on is important. And at a certain age, obviously you can use your parents because you're young and your parents are really the ones, you know, paying for it maybe or so forth. But at a certain point, you become old enough where you do have the ability to say, listen, I don't I don't like that. I finally had to start doing that more. And it definitely taught me to do that more with people. And you can still do it in a kind way. And doesn't mean, though, that everybody's going to respond beautifully. (laughs) And that is also something you need to know early on, I think, because if they don't respond to feedback, they don't respond to feedback. Well, then maybe this isn't the right fit, because I think caregivers do need to be able to handle feedback and not take it too personally. And I feel like some people do that, which I understand it's a personal feeling. But yes, they need to most caregivers need to have pretty thick skin. And I think that I tend to shut down and, and, and resent that, that may be still kind of my default go-to mm-hmm. response. And I'm trying to work on that. So I will say that any advice I'm about to give on this show or anything are things that I am, I want to work on. They're not things I'm good at. Oh, They're amen. That, yeah. That I want to work on. Yeah. We're all in work in progress. We all need, you know, to work on ourselves and we're not perfect by any means. I think the truth is that I would vacillate between the two. I'd vacillate between being frustrated that the person is doing X that's Mm -hmm. irritating me and I can't speak up about it. And then being irritated at myself for not being able to speak up about it or not having dealt with this in the beginning so that it wasn't an issue. Absolutely. So how did you and how do you manage your mental health while dealing with the caregivers, even as your parents as caregivers, to have a caregiver every day 
to rely on somebody for everything you have to rely on, you know, how do you handle your mental health with all that? I think it's, it's just been an exercise in practicing, just trying to come out and say what I'm feeling and then basically practicing just handling the response, regardless of whether it's what I wanted or not. I mean, emotionally, I always get my physical needs met, but it's like you were saying earlier, emotionally, human beings don't always respond in the way that you would hope to feedback. And a big part of the lesson's just been struggling to say what I need and actually saying it, and then just managing how I deal with the response. It is. It's kind of a process and and it is a practice. And I know that you struggle with anxiety. When did that really come about and how did that come about? That you asked because I forgot to mention it in my earlier overview. Where where it affected my life at, at least as far back as middle school, but I wasn't officially diagnosed until graduate school. And part of it I think is just my wiring. Another big factor is just managing the fact that there's a lot that I don't have control over and struggling with the sorts of things that you just said. I'm not useful. What can I do about this situation? You know, beating myself up, wanting to have some control over what happens and not always feeling like I have the level of control that I would like. And so that's probably a big factor in the anxiety. I mean, mine is a different level for sure, because yours, the control has got to be difficult. And it is, it's hard, even with any chronic illness, you do have to let go of a certain amount of control because the illness kind of dictates what you do. Illness kind of tells you, well, this is what you're going to be able to do for today. And for you, it dictates the whole thing. And it has since birth. So part of it isn't, you're probably used to, but then when you hit those milestones in school and other things, I'm sure that's when it came out because yes. And then of course the comparison to others and all those other things kind of come out in school anyway, because you see other people living their lives and you do that lovely little comparison where, and we do that all the time as chronic illness people, we all compare and that's a terrible thing to do. Terrible thing to do, but we all do it. And it's, and, and we do it in society anyway. It does create a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and worry and anger because you don't have that control. And I can't imagine, you know, extremely frustrating and definitely causes the anxiety to kick up. What would be your advice, which I would love to know, um, to someone with chronic illness who does need to rely on a caregiver or a loved one, what would be your advice to them? Because you kind of are a wealth of knowledge on this topic. And, and this is going to sound lame, but uh, go to Google, go to a, or a search engine of your choice. We're not sponsored by Google that I know of. No. Uh, <laughs> what resources are available to you? Research what state programs there may be and if you qualify or maybe hiring from an agency is an option for you, but it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Spend a lot of money for only a few hours of care a day. So I know that for a lot of people, that's not really a workable option. So just do your research that, and it's one place where comparison might be okay. 
compare the resources that are that are out there for you. Uh, consider going to Facebook or themighty.com, like Melissa mentioned, looking for support groups with people with your condition or experience and share your experiences and know that people share yours. But also, kind of on the other end of things, honor the uniqueness of your situation. Know mm -hmm. that nobody's circumstances are the same, even for somebody with the same condition. Your experience of it is going to be completely different. Practice asking for help and, and doing it kindly, but with as little hesitation as possible. I know that for a lot of people, asking for help is really difficult, but just keep practicing. Do it anyway. That's the only way you get better at anything is do it anyway. Absolutely. Yep. Do it anyway. Even if it's uncomfortable, do it anyway, because we do all need help and it's okay to ask. And especially if you're paying someone to help you, then it's definitely okay to ask. Yes. And there is no should in terms of how you feel. I have uh, an aunt who's a mental health professional too although she's not mine and she says don't should all over yourself <laughs> don't should all over yourself so th there's no should and like you said earlier the biggie is comparison is at best counterproductive just mm -hmm. as much as we can notice when we're comparing and and try to stop that cycle uh pay attention to how you feel physically and mentally and name what you're experiencing and as I said earlier, that's been hard for me, but just just focus on the negatives of how you're feeling. Notice what makes you feel good. That's been one of the most surprising things for me is sometimes I can get in these negative anxiety cycles and I forget to notice the days when I was feeling pretty well or the activities that helped me get out of that cycle so that I could know when to go back to them when I was in a much more unpleasant state of mind. Oh, so important. And I think we do get into a vicious cycle. And I know I have done, I'm guilty of it big time, where you forget kind of the things you do have and the days that you have that you did get to do something you loved and enjoyed. And if you don't relish in those, you really do go down a slippery slope very quickly once every couple of days. And I just wrote down some things that reminded me of what I had and what I was grateful for in a sense, but that was, it reminded me to stop and to kind of break that cycle a little. It wasn't perfect, but it definitely, definitely helped. I think you are so wise on that. That is so true. I would say you can't change the past. What mm -hmm. can you do next? That's different so the next time will be different rather than saying oh, I wish I'd spoken up all those years mm -hmm. uh, to the caregivers how can I respond in future situations or not even don't even focus too far in the future because that can be its own cycle just what what is the next thing I can do any next action is too insignificant just the next step is all that matters your own definition of a, of success and know that that definition can change from day to day or some days from hour to hour. If you reach a point where you're like, well, I'll be doing good today. Well, in my case, just to say, if I just write a paragraph, then okay. 
That's your definition for today. And that's okay. Never to get to that point where I can say that. Mm -hmm. Because again, comparison. Yeah. Took me the longest time to just be able to say no. Mm -hmm. My definition is for me. And my definition tomorrow may be different than my definition today. And that is okay. Exactly. Oh my goodness. That's the best piece of advice ever. And that took me a long time to get. I was about 18, 19 when <coughs> the pain hit and I ended up moving home with my parents, you know, having three surgeries and my friends, you know, graduated from college got jobs, got married, started having kids. And I wanted that life. That is what I thought I was going to have. And with you. it took me so long to shift that perspective from that's okay. Good for them. That wonderful. But for me, my life's going to look different. And that doesn't demean my life in any way. And that took me a long time to be able to say and mean, I would say it. Did I mean it? No, but I would say it. And now I really do mean it because I can see my life in a different way. And my success is measured differently than someone else's. And honestly, everybody's levels of success are measured differently. But I think in our society, it's, you know, what kind of level of a job do you have? How many kids do you have? Yes. Uh, how much money you make? And, you know, with Instagram and social media galore, I mean, it's infiltrated in us all the time. So it's already hard to do it. And then you add in having a condition or an illness, and it's really tough to have a different level of success and be okay with that. Say, hey, I mean, some for some people taking a shower is their big success for the day. Yeah. Bravo. And, you know, with what they're dealing with, then that's wonderful. And they should applaud themselves, I think, to congratulating and really relishing in those moments that you do reach those moments of success for yourself and really honoring those moments is important, really honoring and really saying, look at what I just did, what I accomplished, even if it's small, it's a big deal for you. And that's what matters. You know, and comparing is one of the hardest, hardest things to get over when, when you're chronically ill or have a condition like you do, it's, it, you want to have those you know, achievements. It's hard to let go of those yes. and make your own, make your own road, make your own achievements and not worry about what everybody else is doing so much, you know, yay for them. Good for them. You wish them well, but you're going to do your own thing and you're going to be proud of it. And as you should be, it's incredible to really look at all you have done. Quadriplegic, cerebral person, everything you have accomplished in your life is incredible. And same for me, having chronic pain, you know, being able to do certain things, that's an incredible feat. And we should be more self-congratulatory to ourselves and really recognize that we've achieved more than we think. Because and it can be, it can be so hard because our lives change. I beat myself up for not believing the things that I say here, but mm -hmm. you know what, even that's okay too, because saying them, is part of the battle. I, mm -hmm. I really believe if we if we say them often enough, eventually, whatever we say will become true, and that's why it can be important to caught up in negative self talk if if we can, because that sticks too, and I think that often sticks more easily.
than the positive stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The negative stuff always sticks harder than positive for sure. It's incredible that you see that. What advice would you give to someone in the caregiving profession? Well, first, honestly, as weird as it might seem, is I'd want to ask them a question or actually a couple questions. How do you feel about giving and receiving care? Because ironically enough, our attitudes about receiving care, I think, can affect how we view other people who are receiving care. And I'm not even saying it's conscious, but we have these subconscious mindsets about independence and et cetera. So why do you want to be a caregiver and how do you feel about someone uh, receiving care? And just know, and as tough as this might sound, you're there to meet the needs that the the client establishes or that their loved one establishes if they're not able to communicate nothing more or nothing less like you said earlier you can become friends with a caregiver but it's it's a tricky situation because you have to establish those boundaries you're not there to be each other's therapists Mm -mm. or sociologists or whatever (laughs) else to meet a certain need and I, i relate to what you said earlier about having someone younger help you because i think sometimes it can feel to the person like here's this older person telling me what to do or on the flip side if it's an older person i had many older caregivers i if i felt like they might have been thinking why is this young person you know telling me what to do either way it can be a very awkward uncomfortable situation for people how do you feel basically about being told what to do and i don't mean that it should be done abruptly or rudely but still even if it's not that can be something that people are not or at least don't seem very comfortable with maybe it's me reading more into it than is there but that is a question that i have and my second piece of advice as i said earlier is can you handle both being very physically busy possibly depending on the needs of the client or having hours where you don't have much to do at all. I think that as a caregiver, it would be really helpful to be a reader because because that's something quiet that you can do to keep you busy or do crossword puzzles. Not that I minded people watching TV, but there are times when I was working, especially because I use voice recognition to type, by the way, that I needed more quiet. quiet. Like a phone call, can you take it outside? But then the the issue with that is, will, will you be outside if I need something? Right. How do we connect if I need something? That, that is so true. And thank God, goodness for technology, because technology definitely helps with that. I can, but you, for you, I mean, it's not like you can just pick up a phone and call her. So it's, it's definitely different for each person with their caregiver. Because on one hand, you want to be able to get along on a certain level. But there were, I almost had opposite situations. There were situations where there maybe we didn't click as well, but also situations where I felt maybe issues were caused by being too good of friends. Weird balance that I'm not even sure how to find it except to 
practice and see what works and what doesn't in any given situation. Like you said, and also a big one to know is there will be some things, dear caregivers, and I do realize that you have the best intentions and you're in it because you want to help, but there will be some things that you can do nothing about. When when I am in an anxiety spiral or whatever, or just for whatever reason, if I don't look as happy as makes you comfortable, mm-hmm. there are times when please don't try to change how I feel or fix me. No. It's not, a, not every face I make. And sometimes I felt like because they were trying to be so helpful that they were like interpret every expression or any change. And I wanted to say, I can talk. Don't worry. I will tell you what I need. The fear that there's something that they're missing and they want to do the best I can. If there's a need and I don't communicate it and it doesn't run, you know what? That's on me. Yeah. On the caregiver. Mm -mm. I think that's hard for a lot of people. And to the caregivers, obviously to take care of yourself as well is so important because we caregivers tend to not do that anyway. And then especially and to take the time you need for yourself. Yes, which can be especially challenging to shift a little bit. If you are a family caregiver, there's no leaving. It's one thing for an outside caregiver. There are set hours that they come and set hours that they leave. That is not the case for family members and people who live with you and me. So please, it's especially important in in those situations. And it's my experience that I feel like sometimes those are the people that least want to hear this. Take care of yourselves too. And realize also that you have needs too, and it's okay to acknowledge them. I know I always worried so much about my parents because they were my primary caregivers through all of this, through every surgery, through every pain. And I wondered how much I was taking away from what they wanted to do and also just sucking so much out of of our relationship. And I felt like I was taking advantage in a way, even though they would in a million years never think of it like that. But in my brain, it was like, oh, I'm, I, I'm taking, you know, you need to go and, and play golf or do whatever you want to do for you. And it was always a delicate balance with that because they are your parents and they love you and they want to, they would do anything for you. At least my parents, and I'm very lucky in that respect. And it yes. sounds like you too, because I know that's not everybody's world, but luckily for me, that was my world. And sometimes I did have to say, go and do what you need to do for you, please. And that was, that was what they needed to hear. I have to remind myself that I can influence the decision, but I can't make them. Right. Yes. But you can't make them. There's only a limit. There's only a limit to what we can do. And it's up to that other person. And sometimes we have to let go, which is not easy because we see them way over doing it. And we want to help them because they help us and, And uh, we can't because it's really up to them to take that time that they need. And that's all we can, we can really do. Closing, I'd love to know kind of your general, you know, closing remarks here on anything else that you haven't had a chance to say. Thought that I tend to have that seems to me to be kind of 
different than what I sometimes hear is that abilities are fluid. This is, this is not a situation of there are people who need care and people who give care. We've all needed care at some point, if at no other time, when, when we were babies, and we will need care again uh, if we're fortunate enough to live to a certain age. To say nothing of everything that can happen in between. Caregiver right now, point in the future, there's no dividing line between people who need care and people who give care. There's no them versus us. And I really feel like that's so true in so many parts of life. And we're all just at different stages of a very similar journey that's experienced in a different way. Is that we just need to, listening to each other, acknowledging that we all have strengths and weaknesses, and we need to practice respecting each other and each other's boundaries. Whether we're caregivers, clients, whatever field we're in. It's incredible, wise advice, because I don't think we always look at ourselves like that, that we are going to require care, or we did require care, we all did as babies, and that we will probably again at some point in our life, maybe we have a surgery, maybe, you know, we are, or we're older and we need care then. And to look at it from that broader perspective is, is an interesting way to do it. We're all interconnected. We're all dependent on each other and chronic illness or not. It's just the way life works. And it's part of being human. And I think that that is an amazing way to look at it. So Obviously, she has an amazing point of view, and you can tell that even just by speaking her eloquently put phrases, if you ever do need any help with editing services, please, please visit lisarutledgeauthor.com. She can help you with editing as well as you can also read some of her poems and short stories and essays. And it's really, I've, I've enjoyed going on and looking at a few things. I've always loved writing, but I think you definitely have a way with the way you put things and your perspective. And I love it. So I've really enjoyed getting to read some of, of your things. And if I ever do write something, I'm going to, I'll send it to you to get a keen eye on it because I know I that, that, that that's um, something that I need help with. Sometimes I get a little too wordy. <laughs> and so do I. I do. I like, I love all the words and all the descriptions. And she also does have an incredible, if this is your cup of tea, uh, blog called sittingwiththesacred.com. She really reflects on her spiritual journey and Christian scriptures, like I said in the introduction. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming and being on the show today. That it was amazing to have you. Amazing. And I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in today. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle.org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. 
I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.